Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The Democrats are going to be the last of the institutionalists. Mm-hmm. This is one reason why I individually or forward, it's like a, it's, it's kind of its own thing. And that Republicans are the anti-institutionalists. Uh, and then and you're in a time when, by the way, the institutions are not exactly kicking ass. They're not they're, thriving. Yeah, no. yeah. They're, they're failing, many of them. Um, uh, and so uh, in a way, what you need is kind of benign outsiders. But the Democratic Party will be hostile towards even benign outsiders. Government has not been run very well in decades. Yet, in order to win a Democratic primary or race, you have to have experience running these poorly run institutions. Well, I made a joke about it in my book, which was that like, uh, it's that the test is like, how can we be sure that you also will get nothing done? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I forgot uh, that. Joke. Yeah, the, the people take like kind of fake credit for like, oh, under my watch, like these things happen. I passed uh, this bill that no one's ever no, no heard, one's heard of. of yeah. <laughs> you know? We increase funding to XYZ. He was like, man, that increases every year with or without you, you know? This week, Zach and I make some bold headline-making predictions for 2022, the year ahead. This week on Forward. It's 2022. It's 2022. This is going to be the year. This is our year, Andrew. In all seriousness, I tell people close to me that you should try and enjoy yourself this year because next year is going to be become unfortunately an obsession with 2024 at least politically and culturally oh. uh, so 2022 has got to be the year this is our year <laughs> I, I was just i was just gonna say this is the year we take back the white house but that's a bad joke yeah that just, that, that, <laughs> doesn't uh, make any sense but it is our year and <laughs> i'm i'm feeling great about this year we're gonna do some awesome stuff we're gonna build up uh so we had some end of year forward party stuff including a New Year's Eve celebration online that was really invigorating and delightful. So thank you to everyone who's a part of that. Uh, You know, we're off to a rousing start. So it's our 2022 Outlook episode where you, the listener, get to hear Andrew Yang's and mine, if you're interested. Predictions for the year. Yes. What lies ahead in 2022? And we were pretty... We don't have to dive into last year's predictions, but we weren't that bad last year. We were pretty, our 2021 outlooks were pretty good. 
Um, so apparently we predicted it was going to be a shit year and then it was like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. I had predicted education institutions not going great, which I, they haven't really fallen, but I think they're still pretty shitty. Yeah. I predicted new media uh, outlets to emerge. And I think Substack's a good example of such. Uh, feeling good about that. There's a couple others, but Substack's probably the big one. Um, roaring 20s in my prediction last year, and I don't know if it really roared. The new theme is going to be growflation. <laughs> That's like the, the term I'm coining, um, which I, I suppose will lead me into our first prediction of the new year. What we got? I think inflation is persistent and here to stay. And I, I think not maybe at this 6% level mm -hmm. that we've experienced, but I talked to a macro hedge fund analyst uh, who said that she thinks inflation's here to stay, and here's why, and this made perfect sense to me, is that most firms use something called FIFO accounting. If, if any of you are a nerd and learned this stuff at some point, which is first in, first out. First in, first out, yep. So if you were to take a very, very simple business, like a chair manufacturing business, and you had inventory of you know a thousand chairs in your warehouse, uh, now those chairs were built, and then let's say your prices went up in terms of lumber, which they probably did, so you build some new chairs, but the new chairs being more expensive, it doesn't kick in until you clear the old chairs uh, because you already built those chairs out of wood that was cheaper. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen to that firm is that when they sell that thousand and first chair that costs them more, in order to make the same amount of money, they're gonna to have to charge more. Mm -hmm. So there's been like a lag time in the system between mm. what some someone's costs have been and when they need to start charging you for their increased costs. Mm -hmm. So this analyst said, look, I think a lot of firms have actually started to make these decisions, but there has been a lag time. And so you're going to see it filter through the system uh, in the next number of weeks and months, which made perfect sense to me. What also made sense to me was that there's now some um, expectation of higher prices among consumers that if you're a business, you can get away with it, Yeah, frankly. That's true. You know, I walked into a bagel store the other day and, and they said, hey, we've increased prices because our costs have gone up. Like, uh, hope you're cool with that. <laughs> you know, I saw hope that. Hope you're cool. Oh, yeah. And then I saw that and I shrugged and was like, I guess I'm cool with that. But you, you see that in a range of businesses. And so if you were a business who was on the fence, then you'd be like, well, if I raise my prices, my, my customers will assume it's because I had to. Uh, the other thing you're seeing is that a lot of businesses are having a hard time staffing. And so they are giving people raises or higher uh, higher wages. And I think that's good, um, but that's also gonna result in prices going up yeah. for those businesses. So inflation's gonna be persistent in 2022, uh, and that's going to put pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates. And the question then would be, how would the market respond to an interest rate increase, and I'm going to suggest it be very, very negative. Yeah. So, so uh, my prediction for 2022 includes the fact that not only will inflation be persistent, but also we're going to see a market correction at some point. Well, that's not thrilling, but um, or not optimistic, but <laughs> I, I think that that checks out. And I think if you're a business, usually when when a business jacks up prices consumers are pissed you're like i think they're gouging me right but if you're a business and you have the opportunity to raise prices knowing that your consumers will be like tolerant of it be like oh yeah this Supply podcast issues. Li listening to it now costs you 12 dollars. we should charge <laughs> um, 
<laughs> okay. I think that's a good one. Um, maybe an easy one and a little pessimistic. I'll do an optimistic one. My optimistic. Well, you thought it was an easy one? You're mocking my prediction? I'm not mocking. <laughs> You're saying it's too obvious? I think it's an obvious one. I don't know if it's obvious. The other thing, I think the press narrative will that will be, this will be interesting. The press narrative, I think, will be that inflation's decreasing, even though it's still kind of high. And that's, I think that's what you kind of said. Like, it might go down a bit, but it's still going to be, we're going to be in a post-inflationary environment. Or well, whatever, we've so. had something of an aberrantly low inflation environment for an extended period Correct. of time. And then now that inflation's here, most people don't know what to do with it. Um, there have been a lot of parallels drawn between Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. That was my growflation joke because yeah. uh, we had stagflation under Carter. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, no growth and inflation. And that's yep. a pretty terrible combination. So now we're going to have some kind of growth, but inflation is going to be here. So that's my right. growflation. Oh, boy. Poor Joe. Not a good thing. No one wants to be compared to Carter, I don't think, at least the past number of years. All right, my optimistic 2022 prediction will make our crypto fans happy, make my girlfriend happy. Um, but I think Web3 is going to be more mainstream. It's going to start to mainstream this year. I don't think, before you freak out, my crypto fans who listen to this podcast, I don't think you're probably going to see an NFT bubble pop a bit. I think people are outrageously overpaying for a whole bunch of crypto things. I think anytime you're seeing valuations change massively because someone threw the world, someone threw the word crypto or Web3 onto it is uh, usually a sign of a bubble or, or overhype. I think if you're a coder right now, if you're learning to code, you're being an engineer, you're learning how to code on the blockchain. I think that's going to you're going to start to see mainstream uh, innovation. So what do I mean? I wouldn't be surprised if concert tickets or airlines or a lot of these QR codes start just being on the blockchain. Um, I think you start seeing Web3 baked into our everyday lives. And that is a good thing. I think I'm really excited what that looks like. Um, there's a lot of takes on that. I want to dive in, you and me, on this podcast over the next coming weeks and months this year um, to talk more on Web3. But I do think that's going to be a more of a mainstream thing and not a niche thing. Wow, man, you're really going out on a limb. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> We're warming up, though. We're warming up. Warming up. Yeah, no, it gets, it gets dicier. Uh, I mean, uh, I, that's I, true. I, they get these takes get hotter as we go. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly agree that uh, Web three is going to to be um, on everyone's lips this year. That's true. Uh, and uh, they're going to be a tons of corporates investing in the metaverse. One one of the things people are concerned about is whether it's just going to replicate existing dynamics or whether it's going to be uh, broader and more egalitarian. You um, saw what, what Jack Dorsey tweeted? Oh, yeah, he said it's going to replicate the... He's like, and I, I'm with him on that. I, I, the whole thing's a problem. If it looks like our venture community now, Web3 hasn't done shit. It's the exact same thing. Like, meet the, old, meet the new boss just like the old boss. Right? <laughs> like, that's, what it, that's what it is. Like, Anytime I do meet someone in Web3 who is clearly not one of the old bosses, though, it does make me happy. I agree. Like I, when I do run into them, and I'm happy about them. There is the decentralization thing is is exciting. Um, the uni the universal basic income and let's call it monetary access and the um, reaching the unbanked and things like that. That upside is remarkable, like what we were talking about. But if you're just talking about a bunch of rich kids or semi rich kids getting more rich, living you know at home in a basement and becoming crypto millionaires and then just buying real estate in the metaverse, I don't know if that's really changing much. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean. I love you guys. 
<laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. So, like, I'm seeing, like, this is what, and, like, I want someone to come, and I want you guys to respond to this, whether you watch this on YouTube or come at me on Twitter, but, it's, like, I'm seeing people pay outrageous prices in the metaverse for digital real estate or Gucci bags and stuff like this. And I'm like, so we're going to have the same, like, all the problems we have with our current real life world are just are going to be just as bad in the metaverse like we're it's not new in the new one um you know someone who is into into um web3 said something to me that stuck with me it yeah. said that uh that it's social signaling um yeah. and then when you reflect for a moment on just how many things we do uh that are in essence social signaling then it, you start to think okay uh what are the limits and mm -hmm. the, the limits are uh theoretically infinite yeah, unlimited. Yeah. <laughs> in that sense you know and, and it, it's funny because you know we're, we're broadcasting this from manhattan uh and there are so many things that people do in new york city that are social signaling oh yeah you know uh, it's real people gotta spend money on it it's real i'm just saying we have this awesome opportunity to, to change to, to start over in a, in a way, and it doesn't seem like we are. Well, um, one of the, the encouraging things I've found from talking to folks in this space is that some people are catching on that Web3 needs to tackle more real-world problems. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm seeing some very encouraging initiatives in that dimension where they're trying to tackle uh, climate change in some cases, economic mm. inequality and poverty in other cases. Right. So that stuff's great. And uh, anyone who's doing things like that, you know, we're we're going to try and help. Yeah, and that, and that that is my prediction is not that Web three and blockchain and crypto continue the hype. That's not my prediction. My prediction is Web three becomes more real world. It starts to interact with the real, real world, world app, real world application. So um, I think verified credentials, um, which is basically eliminating the need for your paper insurance card or your paper airline ticket or your driver's license and doing that online in a very verified, secure way. And we've, we've actually had an episode on that um, uh, on this podcast. That stuff is fascinating to me. And I think it'll become more and more mainstream. My dream, my dream is when you can go to a rental car place, when you go to Hertz, go pick up your rental card and you scan your phone and you don't have to wait in line and talk to a person. It's just, it's all verified right there. Because what are they verifying? That you want your insurance, that you're a real human being, that you have a driver's license, and that you're you, right? And you have a credit card. You could do that theoretically on the blockchain very quickly and not have to sit in line and wait for the person and this sort of thing. So I don't know if that happens this year, but I think um, smaller applications of that start happening and it's pretty exciting. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. 
That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. Okay, it is time for the big news-making prediction of oh, this, this it? pod. This is it. Okay. There will be a significant third-party presidential candidate that declares <laughs> in 22. This is not you declaring for president right now, are this you? This is not me declaring right okay. now, but this is me declaring that someone will declare in 22. <laughs> I, do de I do declare. <laughs> For the presidency. Someone's going to run as a third party. Someone's going to run as a third party. And they'll announce in 2022. And they're going to announce in 22. Wow. I even think they're going to announce before the midterms. Wow. Well, the midterms are in November. Um, but he hear me out on this. Mm -hmm. So let's say you are a relatively significant third party candidate looking at this field. Mm -hmm. And you would see, okay, Joe Biden, 42, 43% popularity. On the other side, you have Trump coming up. Mm -hmm. Now, what is your cost benefit to waiting until after the midterms? If you wait until after the midterms, then the oxygen will start going towards both Trump and, let's say, Joe. Uh, and it's going to be uh, potentially less advantageous to you to be declaring later if you declare earlier. And if you re return to the bygone days of Yang 2020, we declared in February of 2018, mm -hmm. which would be the equivalent of February 22. It's like declaring in four weeks. It's like declaring <laughs> in four weeks. What a four years For 2024. <laughs> yes. So why did we make that decision? Well, we didn't have any, uh, at the time, we didn't have any uh, notoriety or right. recognition. So if you have some time, you might as well spend it stumping around New Hampshire and Iowa, going mm -hmm. around, in our case, it was the Midwestern, um, Mid-Atlantic, right. uh, Humanity First Tour. Uh, if you were a third-party contender, you might as well get a jump on it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can use this time. It, let's say you don't hold elective office. Uh, you don't necessarily need to be bound yep. to some you know, geography or role. So you might as well hit Iowa summer 22. So might as well declare a little bit early and like get, get some oxygen. Though a third party candidate doesn't necessarily even need to start out in Iowa, New Hampshire, because yeah, they're not true. running in the primaries. So they can go wherever they like. They can mm -hmm. just make their case. They can do podcasts. So there will be a third party candidate who declares in all likelihood before the midterms, but definitely before year end. They're taking a page out of the Andrew Yang playbook. Yeah. If you will. And... and uh, 
do I, I also have a little bit of, uh, you know, like whispering in the wind uh, coming my way on this? Yeah, I'm sure. Kinda, I'm sure people are, are telling you. <laughs> hint, hint. Uh, but that's good. Um, so one of the things we learned when we were running for president was, um, I mean, a whole bunch of things, geez. But the big one was that the, the mainstream media that normally drives narratives, they're now way more reactive, right? Um, they, uh, they didn't realize Bernie was a thing until he was drawing massive crowd. They didn't realize you were a thing until you were already you know, doing well. Um, so there's a world you're saying that's an, an independent candidate can go build up his or her notoriety on all these alternative media, build up a massive following. And then who knows what that means come polling time, right? Um, yeah. If you were a third party candidate and you ran the numbers, you'd be like, okay, if I wait, how does that play out? Mm -hmm. If I go early, how does that play out? Uh, and it, it's not just the um the media i mean you you'd get a chance to build and hone your message you'd get a chance to build relationships with various people mm -hmm. on the ground right now because of the discontent with both parties uh you know if you were a credible third party candidate you could probably meet with like a whole slew of people it'd be like well i should at least see if this person's legit um, so someone who's in this vein, I think, is going to make the plunge or take the plunge um, sometime this year, right. pro probably before the midterms again. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Do you think we'll get them to are they going to run as an independent or we can can you convince them to run as a forward party forwardist? Well, I, I'm saying called? I'm saying that the person will be running as a not as a as a non-Democrat, non-Republican. Got it. Who knows what they run as? Cool. Yeah. This is exciting. Um, will anyone else declare? And I say this because I want to. I want to make sure we remember this. This is important. Never forget, Andrew, that John Delaney ran for president and aired a Super Bowl ad in 2018. You remember this? I do remember. Yes. Um, and as someone who's run and managed presidential campaign budgets, that is an, a horrific way to blow a few million dollars of your presidential budget. <laughs> <laughs> during the Super Bowl when your uh, national name ID is approximately zero. Um, do you think any Dems pull that, pull a John Delaney, not the Super Bowl thing, but declare really early that our mainstream Dems are, are on a major party line or something like that? There was a story that came out in Politico this weekend about this very thing um, that uh, will Joe attract a primary challenger. Yeah, And this is one apparent effect of Build Back Better not passing hmm. is that the discontent uh, among Democrats is higher than it would have been if they'd gotten this bill passed. Now, I happen to think Build Back Better is going to be resuscitated. There's going to be a version of it. It's going to, to keep moving forward over this next period of time. But uh, this Politico story, there are two things I'd like to say. One, the Politico story is trying to manufacture this energy in, in a way because yeah. that loves to try and you love this. Yeah, they love to try and set people into, into ideological camps. Mm -hmm. And like the, the article was framed as like, is the left like going to the left challenge Shiv Joe, Joe Biden. and then Joe has, has had a relationship and he reached out to this. <laughs> uh, um, but but they what the article suggested, I believe correctly, is that there is room for someone to come and challenge Joe in a Democratic primary. Now, the person's going to be very, very far out of the Democratic establishment, because you can imagine anyone who's part of the establishment does not want to uh, challenge Joe. You want to be that guy. Yeah, okay. you want to be that that that, that person. Mm -hmm. um, but will someone, if someone did decide to run against Joe in a Democratic primary, 
Um, do they get 20%? If they're credible, I believe they do. Maybe better. Mm -hmm. uh, and th this is like the fascinating dynamic of the, this primary challenge is that any legit primary challenge to a sitting president is very, very damaging to that sitting president, uh, regardless of whether it's successful or not. Right. And so this is one reason why um, Obama was deeply concerned about Bernie challenging him in 2012, not because he thought Bernie would win, but because it's very, it's very, very damaging. Uh, and so if someone runs against Joe in the Democratic primary, I don't think they declare necessarily this year. They might declare at the end of this year after the midterms, like December 22. Mm -hmm. um, and if they do run against Joe, there are a certain number of people that will support them in that endeavor, you know, among the Democratic primary electorate, just because they, Joe might not have been their person. Uh, if you look at, for example, Iowa, Joe did not do well there. Right. So there are a lot of people who supported someone else Mm -hmm. Most of them will now be on board with Joe because he's the president, he's the leader of the party. Uh, but will there be 20% of people uh, who are excited about an alternative? Probably yes. Of course. And so maybe more, like 20 could be low. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you are a person who's on the outside of the establishment and you see that lane, do you decide to take it? Probably. So probably someone does decide to, to challenge Joe who's a non-establishment right. figure. If you're a mainstream... I don't know if that happens this year, though. Right. If you're a mainstream progressive, if you're AOC or Elon or you know, a member of the squad or some of the bigger names, it probably doesn't make sense because you're not going to win. It'll make it look like your move because you're facing the movement. It'll make it look like Joe is squashing your movement. But if you're maybe a lesser known progressive um, that wants to bump their name ID out there and fight for a lot of the same policies, it could make sense because then you bump your name ID... You'll probably see it. Someone's going to do it. Oh, boy. Man, we're in for we're in for a fun couple of years. Man. Well, this is, again, why I say I appreciate this year, because. Yeah, we won't have to deal with well, the yeah, nonsense. Like uh, after the midterms, all hell's going to break loose. Oh, we'll have so much um, so, to talk about. So, you know, about. we have 11 months of relative sanity. Oh, boy. But okay. I believe someone probably declares. And, and that person who declares, you know, there'll be some attention to them. They'll make some progress during that time. I. I if I was advising that person, I I think that it's not a bad move having been through it myself. I mean, especially if it's not going to be a crowded field, which it's not going to be, because I think, I mean, maybe. But um, if Joe says he's not running, but it looks like he's going to be running, then it probably won't be that crowded. Um, then you get more attention and more, I mean, you actually get speaking time at the debate stages. You know, if you're one of the three or four other candidates running you know, against you know it's wild to just visualize this for a second i just want yeah. to play this out what sure. you just said because i disagree with it by the way okay lay it on me which is that uh you imagine that joe's gonna have to debate whoever this person is <laughs> oh you're saying it won't happen i, I don't think that's they a won't thing. let him on <laughs> like Oof. i i highly doubt it's a thing and like if if you were <laughs> if you were the democrats would you want your 81 year old president no, to like no. to, to like come and like stand there for like you know an hour and debate like progressive tbd but we're democrats right so play it out okay so it's the democratic primary there's a bunch of people running or a couple people running you're jamie harrison who's progressive right he's head of the dnc you've got a woman of color running against joe biden you're gonna say she's silenced and doesn't get to debate him that's a tough spot for jamie right i don't know they're gonna like these are the like, yeah. That 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 is that is an interesting consideration. <laughs> but I I don't so just so you know like I don't think that there are 
Um, there definitely will be Republican debates. Yeah, those will be fun. Those are always fun. They, t- they drop the gloves in the Republican debates, which are hilarious. The Democrats are a little more subtly mean. Yeah, and huh. we can we can return to what we think the Republican field will be, um, but if you rewind to the twenty sixteen race, yeah. when uh, when Trump beat Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Chris Christie, Jeb right. Bush, yeah, like you can imagine, sort of like uh, you know, like a, a smaller version of that because that field was open and Trump wasn't as dominant then as he is now. Like there, there are going to be a bunch of candidates who do not run against Trump because they, they see much more downside than upside. Yeah. And then look, Trump stomps you in those debate stages. I mean, we studied him when we were preparing for our debates. Say what you want about Donald Trump. He's a very, very good debater. I mean, debating is the wrong term, but it's about the attention economy. It's, it's, he's great at keeping the spotlight on him and telling you to shut up. Yeah. So if you're a third party candidate, I guess what I'm suggesting to you, Zach, is they don't actually show up on any debate stage until the general election, which yes. won't be until fall 24 and right now the rules are that that person would need to get higher than 15 percent right to make that debate hard. stage but i meant if you're progressive oh, but you're running way, as a I, dem i think that person probably i i think if if someone's a strong third-party contender they probably surpass 15 they can get 15 yeah. yeah but if you're a progressive running the challenge joe biden on the democratic ticket would there be a debate and you're saying they won't let them do it <laughs> that'd be fun to watch This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. My, let's go to next prediction. My first one was optimistic about Web3. My next one is a little is, is darker. Um, maybe we'll talk about this out loud, but my prediction is um, continued social decline. And I, really, another way is like there's all these crazy stats, and I think they're going You're to really come going to roost. on a limb again, Zach. Oh man, they're not that hot. This is hotter though. I don't know. So I, my prediction is some form of civil unrest even before the election. So the, you got to get specific, Zach, because uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on. You're right. It's it's going to be a hot mess. But here's my so New York Times wrote something today about um, I sent it to Andrew because we had a speech from when you ran for president called the kids. You said the kids are not all right, and it was basically about how. Adults have put themselves in front over their the 
adult needs over children's needs. Oh, the the, the, the next generation is going to have it worse than, than the previous generation. I think everyone knows that. But the numbers in this article were awful. And they're always awful. And so it takes a lot to shock me now. But um, suicide attempts by 12 to 17-year-old girls, which are already skyrocketing, were up 51% in the pandemic. 51%! They were already through the fucking roof! Awful, awful, awful. And to me, you and I have been, you've written a book about it. You've run campaigns on it. We've been studying this shit for since 2017 let's say right and some of it's come to roost and i think it gets i think it's exponentially going to get worse and so i don't know what that means i think realistically it plays out with like more real life karens and fights on black friday and fights in retail stores and people being miserable in public um and probably comes to a head in 2024 election but I think we're just going to be collectively more miserable. It's like a, a fear of mine until we kind of set some collective mission together um, as a country. Um, but I, I just see these stats, whether it's automation or employment or mental health or these sort of things, they're getting worse. It's going to something comes to a head at some point. I think it comes to a head in 2022. That's dark. I think that there are going to be massive mental health challenges for young people in particular. Uh, I, I think a year plus away from schooling has been really destructive uh, for a lot of kids. I think my kids have fared okay, relatively speaking, because they're young. Um, but, you know, I talk to kids at different ages and their parents and it's like, oh, oh my gosh, I forgot that you'd like, you know, like missed junior year of high school or whatever the heck it is. I mean, they're, they're like different things that yeah. have happened to different people. Um, so you're not wrong. I, I do feel really um, bad for the next generation. I felt bad for the next generation back in 2017, 2018. You would talk about millennials. You yeah. Know. I mean, um, we, we've left them a bill of goods uh, in terms of an ability to live a, a good life for themselves. And there are so many young people that aren't having kids uh, or aren't getting married because they're looking at it being like, oh, one of my prospects, mm -hmm. they look up, they see climate change, like, you know, and, and you like talk yourself into a bunch of things. Um, whereas, uh, you know, like people weren't having those kinds of conversations Right. Like a number of years ago. I was at a wedding this weekend. New Year, New Year's Eve wedding, by the way. Really fun. B highly recommend. Um, but it was a group of, I, I think everybody was around my age, a little younger. Um, but they said some interesting, and I didn't, the premise of what they were saying wasn't 100% true, but it, I'm curious your thoughts on this because I want to frame it to you. Girl said, what is the hardest thing our parents' generation had to deal with on the macro level? Um, and what she was saying was that the millennial generation or Gen Z have now had to deal with, you know, you start with 9-11 and the 2008 financial crash, then the pandemic as those are like massive and, and throw climate change in there. These are massive existential foundation breaking moments or crises. Um, and my parents' generation, um, we're like, what did, did they have anything anywhere at that near that scale? I think the answer is no, but what we landed on, like, somewhat facetiously laughing. It was like, yeah, but um, a lot of them had some real trauma with their parents and never, ever talked about their problems or like the, the way we do, you know, so much like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> never spoke to my father or whatsoever. Right. Like the, like I do think they have it as easy as, as I'm saying, but my, um, my question for you is, I mean, that same question, like is 
you know, it's probably you're probably between where my parents are and what what I am. You got um, ten or so years on me, but Gen X baby, what, yeah, baby. You guys got that like that little sweet spot. A lot of the things that we joke about this all the time. A lot of things that were like facts, like you'll just work hard and get to college and pay off and buy a house. Like those things are just bro, not only breaking down, they're essentially broken now. Are we overreacting there, um, or is it as bad as I'm well, saying? I'm, well, I'm gonna... I, so uh, by the numbers, we have set up younger people to fail at much higher levels than certainly was the case at any right. earlier point. Uh, and so the the numbers that I had that I used were that if you were born in the 1950s, I think there's like a 91% chance that you're going to do better than your parents did. If you're born in the 90s, then that's down to a 50-50 shot. And I think we know where that's trending. <laughs> I think it's just kind of, did you go down? So, and that's the definition of the American dream, you know, like, are you going to do better than your parents? And a lot of kids are growing up being like, don't think I am going to do better than your parents. A lot of parents are like, don't think you're going to do better than me. <laughs> and like it's, so it, it's a shitty place. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm the child of immigrants. My dad said something to me when I was a kid. He said, it's not about how you're doing. It's about what direction you think you're going. Mm. So it's like if, if you take someone who's like, you know, really struggling, but things are getting better, then they're like, all right. That's true. <laughs> you know, like if you take someone who's really affluent and then you put them on a downward slope, they're going to be pissed off and angry like the, the entire time. Yeah. So that's what's happening now in America for a lot of young people. They look and say like, you know, I don't think things are trending up for me. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they're generally not. So, right. uh, so that this is what, what's fueling a lot of the, um, the sadness, the anger, the despair. And, and a lot of this stuff was true pre COVID COVID just made it much, much worse. It's accelerated, right? Yeah. We did a whole episode on, and it, it's, it's really screwed up people's sense of well being. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I, I, I mean, you'd have to be extraordinarily, um, resilient not to have felt that over this last period of time. Right, right, right. So again, not sure about the value of this prediction, Zach. You know, <laughs> like, hey, people are going to Too say, obvious. Yeah, yeah, Everything's like, going to shit. Or, or um, you, would, you would need something very concrete to um, measure whether this prediction pays off. Um, so I'm just going to put the pressure back on you. But I'm on to my third prediction, which is going to be much more positive. Uh, I think this is the last year of the pandemic. I think 2022 uh pandemic over and here's my thinking okay number one is that pandemics typically last uh three years or so and you're not going to believe this people but this is the third fucking year <laughs> like it starts wow. in 2020 and 2021 this is 2022 this is year three of the pandemic so most pandemics will run their course around this time of uh this time period number two omicron is everywhere yeah everywhere we just all have to accept that we're all gonna get it i'm gonna break some more news i'm pretty sure i had omicron i'm sure we both have it in some <laughs> <way>. <laughs> no, this no. studio is just crawling in omicron uh and it it now in my case you know i'd had covid before as i was vaccinated like uh, everything else so um you know it was really really mild but this thing is everywhere and so if you have a very very infectious strain uh, then it ends up developing herd immunity pretty quickly because, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to get to everyone. I'm happy to say everything I've seen and what I'd experienced, like, this is pretty mild. Mm -hmm. A lot of people just have cold symptoms, and then we're like, was that Omicron? And that, it's like, yeah, yeah and like it, it might have been. In my case, I was mildly fatigued for, like, a couple of days, and I was like, was that Omicron? <laughs> 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 well, now you can't really, in certain cities, like, in New York, it's very difficult to test right now. 
very difficult. Uh, it's a problem. So I think so. Uh, number two is that I think Omicron is going to spread everywhere and it's going to give everyone some degree of resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that this is going to help bring about the end of the pandemic. Number yep. three is that we're all at the end of our rope. Yes. And so that there really is no possibility of having folks uh, continue to adopt various countermeasures beyond something that's relatively easy mm -hmm. uh, because just get people are exhausted. Yes. Um, so I, I think that the pandemic ends in 22. It's kind of split on party lines a little bit. You're seeing it now, though, where you have everything's open, but schools because the teachers union doesn't want to do it. Um, the Knicks, the Jets, the Giants in New York, they're all packing their stadiums, but certain places you can't gather more than, you know, certain places still have to feel like they're socially distanced. Like you're, you're seeing somewhat like a little bit of hypocrisy and like we're distancing on some ends, but not, but I, I think to your point, we'll get the wins. We'll get the wins end. I think it's a good prediction. Really go down on a limb there. To me right now, like the, the main thing you have to be concerned about in my view is the capacity of the healthcare system. It's like if, if the, mm -hmm. you know, and when we talk about Omicron numbers, like the, the only number we should be focusing on is hospitalization. Yes. Like if a thousand people have mild cold symptoms and no one ends up in the hospital, fine. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. You know, like, like if your hospital is beyond capacity and it can't do elective procedures and uh, healthcare workers are burning out right now. That's that's a major problem. Yeah. And if people in the hospital usually means people are dying, right? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's your. But if we're keeping people out of the hospital, these are wins. Yeah. These are wins. We should be celebrating. Um, I agree. That's the best pick. That 2022 is the end of the pandemic. And called pandemic. it here. You heard it here first, Yang Gang, and anybody who listens to this. Uh, I think we've broadened beyond the Yang Gang, which is exciting. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, one pick that um, we both agree on. Um, so we don't have to go crazy on this, but I had a point. Was that um, Republicans are going to roll in the midterms. So do they get the Senate? Two or just the House? I think they take both. Zach thinks they take both. What do you I think? concur. Yeah. I have here, this is what I wrote down though. Um, I was writing about this in my book. I took it out because I think it's it might be too short term. But I do think, because I wanted the book to like stand a longer test of time. But I do think- Zach's writing a book, everyone. Comes I'm out writing a book. We're going to talk about it more and more. Uh, May 24th, I think, in May. Um, I think we start to see a rise of crazy moderates. Now, hear me out. And I'm uh, your thoughts on this. Um, I think Eric Adams is a fun example. Um, but 
in the sense that if the if the whole system is incentivizing people to go far right and far left, the the average let's not the average vote, let's say the average general voter, the average human being is going to be craving for people with just moderate or nuanced views, right? And we're going to be craving them so much that we will overlook aspects of crazy that we normally would be turned off by. But because they're not like when it comes to being a leader, they're more moderate, more flexible. Um, we'll tolerate it. So, for example, Eric Adams is a pretty weird dude. Like, I mean, look at Google Eric Adams rats. Like he went on a tirade on he literally drowned rats in poison at a city council meeting. Like this guy does. He, he does weird shit all the time. But he's a moderate. He's tough on crime. The Democrats are desperate for, and they're into that. And it's you could go down the list. You could. Um, I believe you're going to start to see like it's crazy and radical to be a moderate in politics, at least for a little bit, as we kind of sift out this far right, far left uh, hyperpolarization world. I don't know what you think. Maybe Eric's an anomaly. Maybe New York's an anomaly. I'm not sure. Uh, so one of the things that that gets confusing too is that if you look at. Um at the number, it's not like Eric got a mandate coming in. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I forget. What yeah. He won his base, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, unclear what lessons you can draw from, mm. from him individually. Mm. Um, are there more, I think the word you're looking for is zany. Yeah. Like, like kind of zany moderates. Yeah. We're like, you just overlooked the, like something that would have killed a politician earlier. But the fact is they're like, well, they're, you know, they're socially liberal and fiscally conservative or something moderate. Um, so which party are you, you thinking these people come out of? Great question. It's probably going to be more Republicans. But well, I think you, you it, know, I, I think it may happen. You, a Democrat you know would be your example of this person, maybe hmm. Dr. Mehmet Oz. Oz, yes. Good example. If he can come so, in, I don't know where his poll is going to be at. He's a Republican, Pennsylvania. Yep. If he's going to talk sane, Senate candidate. say some things that uh, isn't extremely pro-Trump, but isn't. You know, so you're suggesting a right. So this is a different point than the point you were making, but we can go to someplace a little bit different. This is a, I wanted to talk it out. So man. Th th this is celebrities because because Mehmet Oz mm -hmm. is objectively a celebrity. There are people that are getting courted to run for president because they're celebrities. I mean, Donald Trump was obviously a celebrity. Mm -hmm. You know, so will there be an openness to celebrities? I'm going to mm. say yes to that, uh, and. I think Trump's running in, in 24. I think he's the heavy, heavy favorite front runner uh, in the Republican field and probably the overall front runner if you were to do it today. Yeah. Um, and so if that's your context, uh, are you looking for um, maybe another celebrity to, to <laughs> go out? I think like, I don't know. So celebrity is interesting because we've had celebrities. We've had Jesse Ventura. We had Schwarzenegger. We've had, and then, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, got stomped um but she's one of the most uh, recognizable names in the planet right um but i do think it's about a platform overall it's like why mayor pete was able to run um with no real name id but he had he was a mayor so that was something it was like it's almost like you just need something to like being a celebrity, isn't it? But something where you have a, a platform or something to latch on to. Well, what, what's what's interesting is I think both the Dems and Republicans respond differently to celebrity. That's true. That is true. Um, and so uh, in the Dem world, uh, you know, having mayor next to your name is, is a substantially better than uh, yeah actor. Yeah. Whereas Republicans, like, yeah, kill yeah, us. yeah. yeah don't care. Um, it's one reason why there are a lot of Republicans who, like me, 
And then Democrats would be like, oh, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you, need you haven't held up And then Republicans are like, hey, dude ran a business and <laughs> you know, has done some things and no talk sense, I'm into it. Um, so uh, it's one of the, the overall dynamics that the Democrats are going to be the last of the institutionalists. Mm-hmm. This is one reason why I individually or forward, it's like a, it's kind of its own thing. And that Republicans are the anti-institutionalists. Uh, and then and you're in a time when, by the way, the institutions are not exactly kicking ass. They're not they're, thriving. Yeah, no. yeah. They're, they're failing, many of them. Um, uh, and so uh, in a way, what you need is kind of benign outsiders. But the Democratic Party will be hostile towards even benign outsiders, um, which is one reason why people are frustrated. I'm actually going to say something funny. I think Bernie's a benign outsider. Benign to who? Well, it's just well-intended. He wanted, yeah, yeah. He wanted, wanted to do things to help people. Um, and the Democratic Party is trying to, you know, kneecap him right. at every turn. Yep. <laughs> like, um, you know, whereas the Republicans just kind of generally like outsiders. They're like, yeah, you know, come in. And, and in my view, Trump is, you know, the wrong, wrong, wrong type of outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's the opposite of the benign one. Um, but that there, there is like, you know who else I actually will also say was like to me a benign outsider? Mm-hmm. Tom Steyer. Yeah. We um, and we used to joke about this when we were running. Government hadn't been has not been run very well in decades. Yet, in order to win a democratic primary or race, you have to have experience running these poorly run institutions. Well, I made a joke about it in my book, which was that like uh, it's that the test is like, how can we be sure that you also will get nothing done? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I forgot uh, that joke. Yeah, the, the people take like kind of fake credit for like, oh, under my watch, like these things happen. I passed uh, this bill that no one's ever no, no heard, one's heard of. of yeah. <laughs> you know? We increase funding to X, Y, Z. He was like, man, that increases every year with or without you. You know. I've seen a whole flurry of stories now that are uh, waking up to the fact that democracy is in jeopardy. We're mm-hmm. heading towards some version of civil unrest, certainly in 24 uh, at the latest, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that people are like, wait a minute, like things aren't working so well. Like that, there are more people who are waking up to that. Yeah. Now, uh, there's a Vox article about this um, just yesterday. Um, now, the, the tough part is that it's getting cast in partisan terms again mm. because it's like, hey, the Republicans are trying to, you know, keep people from voting, like, you know, veer right. towards authoritarianism. Um, and then the Democrats are being framed as like the saviors of democracy and the, and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. Like mm-hmm. another way out of this would be to actually just go multi-party. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And like yeah. make it so that one party having terrible... Uh, leadership doesn't imperil the entire project, right. imperil the entire system. Yep. R- really, the duopoly is is the problem. Now, mm-hmm. I do think the issues in each party are very different from each other, mm-hmm. um, but there are issues. So that that's a dynamic that I'm actually sort of encouraged by because people are like, wait a minute, like we really can't take any of this stuff for granted going into 24. But I, I am optimistic on that, that um, the fire has been lit 
under you know well, the alarm has been yeah set. the alarm has people been set are alarmed under, yeah people are waking up to it i agree with that the, the question is like what is the call to action and a lot of folks are like the call to action is like defeat republicans and then you're like well you know maybe you have to think a little deeper than that <laughs> it's like like that you know like that's the tribalism right it's yeah the, yeah the and part, part of it might also be it's like and you know also being objective, it's like maybe like defeat Republicans just plain isn't going to work. Right. It hasn't been working. But that way. Well, it's, um, you know, both of us think it's not going to work in 22. Right. And then if you wind up with a Republican held House or Republican held both houses of Congress, then obviously nothing is going to get done out of Washington for the, the next two years. And then you kind of stagger into another election. My last. Um, you're making extra bonus predictions. Go ahead. I have one more. Wrap it. Yeah. But I want, Do your, it. I want your thoughts on it. Okay. I want your thoughts on censorship in 2022. Because I think we had talked about the new Twitter CEO is going to be more prone to ban proactive people. on banning people. Marjorie Taylor Greene just got kicked off Twitter after her fifth strike. And then so Dan Crenshaw, who's a um, Republican, I think he's I think he's pr relatively moderate Republican. Um, but he said something interesting. He doesn't like Marjorie Taylor Greene at all. And he said, this is a scam because here's what happens. Twitter sets the rules to kick you off their plot, like what you need to do to get kicked off. If you're Marjorie Taylor Greene, you break them every time. And every time you get booted, you raise money saying that you're being silenced and it's a scam. And so my high level prediction is that I think big tech or the government is going to be forced to into these censorship conversations that a lot of folks don't want to have because um, they're sticky and they're not fun. I'm more of a pre speech. Uh, I'm more of a pre speech. I'm more of a free speech guy. I think less censorship is usually better, but I think everybody's stuck between a rock and a hard place on here because there are elected officials saying horrific things. There is Fox News approving horrific things and have been for a while, right? And even our mainstream, you know, you can go MSNBC, CNN. There's a whole bunch of issues with our media and entertainment in this like government overlap. Thoughts on, does this come to a head in 2022? Um, any predictions on how this plays out this year as, as politics starts heating up too? I, this is going to be an issue in 22, but I think it's gonna be a much bigger deal in 23 yeah. uh, after Trump redeclares. And then are, is everyone going to then be like, well, can't ban a dude who's running for office again. Right. The people elected, yeah. And then maybe, maybe he becomes the nominee again and that won't happen until 24. And then mm -hmm. it's like, well, you certainly can't take it away from uh, the nominee. So, um, so I, I think it's going to be an issue in 22. I think it's going to be a bigger issue or immediately afterwards. I guess like the prediction is like buckle up for censorship conversations. It's um, going to, I think the free speech, our principles of free speech are going to be tested. In, in well, terms so of I, and I, I do have a different perspective on this too. Yeah. It's like people like complain about what Twitter does. Twitter's a private company. The government is its own category, mm -hmm. but people act like the, tw like Twitter is, you know, somehow public commons, um, it's not. And to be fair, like Donald Trump says, I don't like what Twitter does. I'm going to make my own right wing Twitter. And I think that's a lot that's too. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as long as you know, you're not you know, promoting violence or whatever our, our basic rules are. Um, the hardest part to me is I think um, the average person not paying attention, not knowing what's getting cut out or what's getting kept in, I think is always the hardest part where we said um, when we had run for office where you were left off or ignored in certain ways. Like the average person watching is relying on these entertainment companies for news. I think it's, that's, that's the hardest part, right? And I think people are waking up to that. And I think there's more we can do in the alternative media space and podcasts like this, but that's the challenge. Um, 
but I'm I'm buckled up for a censorship. I don't want to say war, censorship debate in 2022. I I would agree <laughs> with you that there is much much more questioning of the mainstream media even than ever. Uh, yeah. You know, they have like a splintering. Then you have growth of various alternative voices. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan's the most prominent, right. and you you see that Joe Rogan is very much just like actively going against uh, certain um, mainstream media narratives. Uh, and like the antagonism is really interesting in the sense that like, I, I think that now it's explicit in a way that before they were almost on like parallel tracks and like mm -hmm. different worlds. Mm -hmm. And then now you can see like the streams crossing and, <laughs> and, and clashing to, to a higher degree. I'm reading the loudest voices in the room. The story of um, basically how Roger Ailes built Fox News. Um, I'm only into chapter one right now, chapter two from there. But um, these are versions of their massive power structures is what I think uh, that's, that's the hardest part, right? They have swayed elections and popular opinion and they're highly profitable. It's like this capitalism and government power wielding all come into one, right? And that's what's... Um, in some ways disintegrating, in some ways evolving, in some ways changing. Um, so anyway, more to come on that for sure. That's our prediction episode, man. 2022, what did I say? Let's recap. Inflation sticks around. Yep. There's a third party candidate who declares this year and it's the end of the pandemic. That's pretty good. And I say Web3 mainstreams a bit. We have a bit of a mental health, social decline. And sadly, the Republicans are gonna win <laughs> the midterms. That's an easy one. And then maybe censorship. We're not sure what happens in censorship, but I think we have a debate. Anyway, good episode. It's going to be a good year. This is our year, Andrew. This is the year. Enjoy 2022. Really. Do some great stuff. Give yourself something to look forward to. I am pumped for this year. Woo! Door two. See you next week, folks.